started by describing what the church is. And one of the things that we we read from the Bible is that number one, the church is described as a body. And, and, and Christ is the head of that body. And then we said that uh, the, the church is described as a temple. And we are living stones in this temple. And Christ is the chief cornerstone. Then we said the church is described as a flock. And Christ is the chief shepherd. And in the church there are shepherds. So it's some of the things that we we, we spoke about last week. That in all things Christ must have the supremacy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then we we spoke about positions in the life of the church. We spoke about elders and bishops. That elders have a responsibility to oversee the work of the church. And the, the, the function of overseeing is the function of being a bishop. And that a bishop is an elder in the life of the church. And then we spoke about the various gifts in the body of Christ. Especially the the fivefold ministry gifts. That this these gifts are, are, are given in the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints. And that these are gifts and not positions. And one of the things that we said was that you don't need a position to operate in your gifting. And you don't need a position to fulfill your calling in God. And then we, we made a, a comparison between the, the man of God, especially the negative part of that, and the God of all men. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, 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 and some of the things that we, we said was that uh, a, a man of God, when you call him a brother, he, he gets offended and he says, you don't recognize this anointing. But the God of all men, because Paul writes and says, great is the mystery of godliness. And then he says, God was manifested in the flesh. So the, the God all of all men in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, he is not ashamed to call us brethren. Hallelujah. So we, 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 we touched on some of these things last week. That we, we, 
we need to go back to the word of God. And that there are traditions that have crept into the church of God. That are not in line with the word of God. So there are practices that have crept into the church. And we need to uproot those practices. Because they cannot be supported by scripture. Because we always say that the Bible plus nothing minus nothing. Because nowadays when you have to see the men of God, you have to pay 7,000. But the God of all men, he says when he sends his disciples, he says go heal the sick. Preach the gospel. Cast out devils. He says, freely you have received. Freely give. That's the, the command of the God of all men. Hallelujah. Amen. We want to pick up the story today in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. We want to talk about the second level of leadership, which are the deacons. Because we, we spoke a bit about elders last week. So we want to continue in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. The Bible says, verse 8 to 10, it says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let this faith be tested. Uh, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, this is the second level of leadership in the life of the church. And where we read it is the qualifications of being a deacon in the life of the church. When you start from verse 1 of, of chapter 3, it talks about the qualification of being an elder. And then in, in verse 8, the Bible says, likewise, the deacons. And then he starts mentioning the qualifications. So it means the qualifications are likewise, are the same. It means if you cannot appoint a drunkard as an elder, you can't appoint a drunkard as a deacon. So the, the qualifications are the same. The standard is the same. So in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 8, we see when the first uh, deacons were appointed in the life of the church. And I want to read it quickly. Because I want to show you some of the roles of deacons. Acts 6, 1 to 8, the Bible says, Now in those days 
when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch whom they said before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want us to look at some of the responsibilities or roles of deacons. Number one, they serve in the church. Number two, they support the elders. They share the load with the elders. And thirdly, they are also supposed to fulfill their callings in God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we see that when there was a lot of work in the church in Jerusalem, when there was a lot of ministry that had to be done, the, the, the apostles appointed as the church to choose among themselves. And they chose seven men. And I like some of the criteria that was mentioned here. One of the criteria was they must be full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I thought that was a wonderful criteria. So they had to serve in the life of the church. There was a crisis in the church in Jerusalem. When it was time to distribute food to the widows. And the elder says, instead of taking all this load amongst ourselves, let us appoint deacons to help us and share the load with us. they were tasked to serve. That is one of the roles of the deacons. And thereby share the load with the elders. But I want us to look also at the life of Stephen who was one of the deacons appointed to serve in the church on the tables. But he also fulfilled his calling in God. Because the Bible says he did many signs and wonders. So even though he was given certain responsibilities, he also exercised his giftings and callings. He did not, his serving did not only end on serving on the tables. But because he was gifted with gifts of faith and healings and miracles. 
he did that to fulfill his calling. So the, 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 the role of deacons is to share the load that the elders are carrying and also fulfill their calling in God. Hallelujah. We are done with the deacons. Philippians 1 verse 1. This is the essence of church governance. I'm not sure if we are projecting. But I'm going to read it in the, in the New King James Version. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Is it there? Yes. So I said this, this is the essence of church governance. Can I, can I have uh, maybe five... Uh, volunteers. I want to illustrate. I want to illustrate church governance. When they sit down, we'll be finished with the preaching. Is it there? Oh, Paul and Timothy, born servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. This is the essence of, of church governance. Maybe, yeah, let, let's, let's go this side. So, this is Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. So, this is the apostolic team and giftings in the body of Christ. They are writing to this group here. All three of them are the saints. But are the saints in the life of the church. But in the life of the church, we have bishops, no bishop. We've got deacons and we've got saints. But they are all saints. So amongst the saints, we've got deacons. You can see he's wearing a jacket like a deacon, like a bishop. He's dressed properly for the role. He's the bishop, then we've got the deacon and she'll represent the saints. So what is the role of the apostolic team and the giftings. I want us to read in Acts 14, 21 and 22. I will quickly read Acts 14. Verse 21 and 22, the Bible says, 
And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying we must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. So, this is the apostolic team. And giftings in the body of Christ. When we talk about giftings, we are talking about the fivefold ministry. Hallelujah. That we we find in Ephesians chapter 4. What is their role? It is to strengthen the church. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us Paul went around different local churches, strengthening them. And encouraging them. So their role is to strengthen and encourage the church. So the the church is not a close-knit secret society. It receives apostolic input. It receives encouragement. So that it can be strong. So that is the role of these two. And this is church governance. We are illustrating church governance. How the church functions. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We we've already spoken about the bishops. We've spoken about the bishops a lot last week. When you read in 1 Peter, the Bible says their role is to shepherd the flock. Peter says, leading as examples. Not lording it over the church. But serving willingly. And saying serving as overseers. So bishops are elders. And elders are bishops. Because to elder you've got the function of bishoping which is to overseer. Hallelujah. So this is the role of this one in the life of the church. And today we spoke about the role of deacons. That it is to support, is the second level of leadership. It is to support the elders. They must also fulfill their calling in God. Because they are also gifted and empowered. Hallelujah. And what is the role of the saints? In the life of the church. Are saints just spectators? And bench warmers in the life of the church. Let's read in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 12. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12. The Bible says, okay, let's start maybe at verse 11. And he himself gave some to your apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints 
for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, what, what is the role of the saints? The work of the ministry. No, no, no. It's, it's the work of the ministry. They are being equipped for the work of the ministry. Hallelujah. So they are to serve. So it's, it's not only the bishops who are called into ministry. It's not only the apostolic team that is called into ministry. But the Bible says the saints are equipped for the work of the ministry. So they are also called to do ministry. Hallelujah. So the, the saints are called to do ministry. And the essence of that ministry is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Going to the nations. Preaching the gospel. I want to show you something in Acts chapter 8 verse, verse 1 to 4. What the saints were doing. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 to 4. Now Saul was consenting to his death, that is Stephen's death. At that time, great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging them dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Who was preaching the word? It was the saints. The Bible says persecution arose in the church in Jerusalem. And the Bible says the church was scattered. Except the apostles. They remained. And the Bible says, all who were scattered went about preaching the gospel. That is the role of the saints. Preaching the gospel. So you, you... you cannot stand before Christ one day and Christ asks you, what did you do to fulfill my, my, my commission? You can't say to Christ, Christ, I didn't have a position of a bishop. Therefore, I did not contribute towards the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Because the saints must do the works of service. They must do the works of ministry. That is the role of the saints. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then I want us to talk briefly about uh, the doctrine of the saints. Or the doctrine behind the word saint. Because we are told in other 
circles that a person gets sainted. So you, you die and then uh, you, are, you are then sainted. Hallelujah. Amen. But we see Paul writing and he says, I'm writing, Paul is writing as an apostolic gift. And he says, to the saints. Was he writing to the dead people or the alive people? To the living. Hallelujah. So he was not writing to the dead. So that doctrine cannot stand the scrutiny of scripture. Hallelujah. So, what maketh a saint then? What makes a person a saint? I would say it's the blood of Jesus. The, the blood of Christ sainteth amen. When you are washed in his blood, you are then a saint. So that's the doctrine of sainthood. When you are blood washed, you are a saint. And it's either you are a saint or you are ain't. So that the blood of Christ makes one a saint. So these 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 are the saints. Can I can I borrow your Bible? Yo, standing here, it's very nice. <laughs> it it reminds me of my days uh, uh, in Methodist Church. So the saints. Or, or before they become saints. Uh, this one, I don't have the rights to this preaching. I just heard it in Methodist Church one day. It says, in our sins, we were black like this. Black like me. And then the blood of Christ. You see, the Bible is read here. Signifying the blood. It's what washed us. So when you come to Christ, black as you are, and you meet the blood of Christ, it washes you. And this is the result. These are the saints. Those who are washed in the blood of Jesus. I'm, 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 I'm reminded of, of, of a story in the book of Revelation. John was asked this question. He says that the question was, who are these who are arrayed in white robes? And he says, sir, you know who these are. Talking about the saints. Dressed in white. And the, and, 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 the, and the answer was, these are the ones who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. These are the saints. Blood washed. 
And it is the blood that makes them saints. That's the doctrine of being a saint. Let's give them a hand as they sit. We are going to close in the next five minutes. So that's the church. That's the essence of church governance. A local church made up of bishops and deacons together with the saints receiving apostolic input receiving gifts coming to minister in the life of the church so that the church can be strengthened so that the church can be encouraged. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the the church has an apostolic mandate. So we want to close with the role of the church. The, the, The church has an apostolic mandate. The word apostle means sent out once. Because in in Mark 16 verse 15 Christ is sending the church. Christ is giving the church you know uh, uh, the command and he says Go and preach the gospel. He says, go to all the nations. So, the church has an apostolic mandate to go. When you read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it says the same thing. Go unto all the nations. That is the mandate of the church. Preaching the gospel in all the nations. So whatever we do, we need to contribute towards the preaching of the gospel in all the nations. We need to be sending out teams throughout the world to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And part of fulfilling that mandate is planting what we call New Testament church. Because it is the most effective way of discipling the nations. That you don't only just go to an area, you preach and you go. But you preach and you stay. You plant a church. Hallelujah. And you plant New Testament kind of churches for the discipling of the nations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we, we, we do not plant branches but we plant churches. So we plant independent and autonomous churches. So, for example, there's a work that we are doing in Flairhof. 
We've been preaching the gospel there for about a year. So this year we'll be training up leaders. And then appointing elders and deacons. Then when we have appointed elders and deacons, then the church is an autonomous church. They don't have to call Cosmos City if they want to do anything. They just decide that this is what we are doing. They are so they, they are not a branch of Cosmos City. But they are a church. An independent church. Relating with Cosmos City. So we want to plant a tree. Not a branch. Because there's a problem with a branch. It will never be independent. There's a problem with a branch. You know, uh, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday, on the 14th. Was it Wednesday or Thursday? It was Thursday. Okay, those who got branches know that it was Thursday. So they cut the branches from a tree. Then they put them together. Then they present them. Me, I don't know. I'm from the villages there. We don't know these things. Sevilla is the romantic one. So, branches by March, I guarantee you those branches would have died. That's the problem with branches. So, we are not going to plant branches. We don't, we don't want to be a big tree with branches. No, we are planting trees. Because we, we want to produce a forest. Not a big tree. A forest is a network of trees. When you read the books of biology, they say they define a forest as a tree, as as a group of trees in which the canopy of the trees are touching. Yes. The canopy of trees are touching. Because there are other uh, uh, felled types where there are trees but the canopies are not touching. It has its own name. But a forest, the, the, the canopy, the top part of the trees must connect. So we want a network of churches that are independent. Pursuing the great commission together. And that is the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And is the most powerful force on the face of the earth. 
They've tried to oppress the church. Passed laws against the church. Killed the saints in the church. Did all things to stop the church. But you can never stop the church. Because Jesus has already proclaimed that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. It's the most revolutionary organization on the face of the earth. It's the most powerful force. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can never stop it. The enemy can never stop it. Even when it looks like the church is not doing well. Christ has already said. God has already said, I never leave myself without a remnant. He always has a remnant. Even when scandalous things are happening in the name of the church. People are drinking petrol. Eating grass. Being doomed. The church remains. And it will proceed. And it will prevail. Because it's the most powerful force on the face of the earth. I want to read one prophecy by Isaiah concerning the church. And then we are going to close. Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. Verse 2 to 3. Yo, I'm so full of energy, I'm disappointed that I'm ending. Isaiah 2, from verse 2, it says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Hallelujah. 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 The prophecy concerning the church. He says, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains. And he says, this shall happen in the latter days. A prophecy by Isaiah. What signifies the latter days? It is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Because Joel also prophesied, he says, it will come to pass that the Spirit will be poured on all flesh. So, so when the Spirit was poured out, it was the start of the latter days. So we are in the period or season of the latter days. And Isaiah says, when the latter days time has come, the mountain of the Lord's house it shall be established 
on top of all the mountains. And he says, this is, this is what will happen. He says, nations will flow to it. Many people will go to it. So there is a bright future for the Lord's house. There is a bright future for the church. In another place, Isaiah also prophesies. He says, of the increase of the of, of Christ's kingdom, there will be no end. So there is a great future for the mountain of the Lord. For the church of God. It says people will say to one another. They will say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. Hallelujah. Amen. That is the inheritance of the church. On, on Wednesday when we were praying, we, we read again in Isaiah why the Bible says, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. That's the future of the church. That's, that's the inheritance of the church. So the church is not weak. It's not dying. But it's strong. And it's alive. And it will be established on top of the mountains. It shall be exalted. Because it's the strongest force on the face of the earth. Let's give Jesus a sense of praise. Let's stand on our feet.